Jessica, I hear you want to learn about basketball. I do, and I want you to teach me. So what exactly do you, do you know about basketball? Oh man, not very much. What do you know about shooting? I can do an underdog. Granny style? <laughs> Granny style. All right, Rick Berry style as they call it. How about passing? And not much. How about dribbling? There we go. <laughs> All right, well hey, and I've coached basketball for 15 years, so we'll see if I can't teach you a thing or two, and then maybe uh, you can work on it at home and get back. I'm ready, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so the first skill we wanna work on today, Jessica, is dribbling, okay. all right? When you dribble, you don't wanna stand straight up. You wanna get into a stance, you wanna bend your knees, all right? When you dribble, you don't wanna dribble the ball really high like this when you're in a game. You wanna dribble it really low like this, okay. all right? And when you dribble, you wanna dribble the ball on your fingertips, your fingertips. You don't wanna slap at the ball like this, this is bad, all right? You wanna be on your fingertips just like this, all right? Ball's on your fingertips, your fingertips, just like this. That, oh, that, oh. That, that, that is a start right there though, okay. working and dribbling with your fingertips. Okay, right. perfect. So now that we've worked on dribbling with our fingertips, let's try, let's add a little movement to it because obviously basketball is an up and down game. So you, you got to be able to dribble and move at the same time. So, okay. um, so when you're in your stance and you're on your fingertips, all right, whatever hand you're strongest with, have, the, have your off hand as, a, as an arm bar, all right, to protect the ball from a defender for trying to grab at it, all right, just like this. All right, here we yeah, go. Let's do it. Dribbling. Very good. Very good. All right, Jessica, let's work now on our, our passing. Okay. All right, you gotta be able to pass with five people playing basketball. All right, so first one's gonna be the chest pass. All right, when it, watch me, I'm gonna step and then go to you just like that. Thumbs are down. Let's see you do it. Ah, sorry. Chest pass. Boom. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Ah. Good job. All right, now let's do the bounce pass. All right, you're still taking a step. Okay. All right, work on catching the near triple threat. Here we go, bounce pass. Boom. Yep. Ready? I think I got that one. Very good. I mean, that, that bounce pass is definitely yeah. a good pass. Yeah. Let's really focus on the fundamentals okay. right, of shooting the proper way. Doesn't matter if you're 30 feet out, 10 feet out, or right in front of the basket. Most basic thing you should do right here is this. So let's just work on your follow through right here. Get your shooting hand, extend your arm out, hold your follow through just like that. Let's see you do it. This? Yep, and then hold the follow through. Very oh. good. Tell me another one. Ooh. Switch. You're Perfect. All right, Jessica, now that we've worked on all the fundamentals, let's put it all together and let's put a little one on one. Cool, all right. let's do you it. Get the ball first. Here we all go. right. Good job. Keep working on your fundamentals. Yeah. We'll come back here in a couple weeks and see if you can't beat it. Awesome. Right. Thank you. That's fun. Good job. Give it up for Jessica and Craig. All right. Good sports. I don't know what camera angle they found that made Craig look like a giant in that video, but uh, all right, that was good stuff. That was good stuff. We're talking about the fundamentals, not the fundamentals of sports, but the fundamentals of our faith and our lives as Christians. What is it that Christians believe? Uh, we're in week five of this series. You could sum up the first three weeks with this one sentence. 
Creation is beautiful and broken. God made all things. All things are beautiful. But yet, by our rebellion, the world has been broken. But God's kingdom comes to earth. God is going to reestablish the reign of God in the world. How is God going to do it? In the person and work of Jesus. Those are the first three weeks in one sentence. But we observed last week that that sentence creates what I'll call the great cosmic problem. If God is going to reestablish God's reign over all things in a world that has been broken by our rebellion, the great question we have to ask is, what's God going to do with the rebels? How can God establish the reign of God with all these rebels everywhere? What's God going to do with all these people like us who have rebelled against the reign of God, who have set up their own kingdoms with themselves as king and told God to kind of go build his own kingdom somewhere else? What's God going to do with the rebels? And as I mentioned last week, I have one rebel in particular that I'm concerned about. What's God going to do with me? Right? How could God, I mean, I know what sort of rebel I am. How could God establish God's reign over all things while I'm in the picture? What's God going to do? We started answering that question last week. You could answer that question with this sentence. Jesus saves us from sin and death, empowers us to new life, and will return in eternal victory. This is God's response to the rebellion. And the first thing God says is, all the rebels can come home for free. That's the first thing God says. I'm just going to forgive the rebels through the power of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. The rebels can be restored to my kingdom by God's grace. That's what we talked about last week was the grace of God. If you missed it, go check it out on YouTube or just show up this Wednesday night for our Bible study. We'll be talking about Ephesians chapter 2, and it's all about grace. So it can, it'll basically be the same thing as last week's sermon. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 2 right here at 630 in this room. This week, though, we we continue to the next part of God's response to the rebellion. After Jesus saves us from sin and death, Jesus empowers us to a new life. And what we're going to see is that this, this work of God, having rescued us, having declared us not guilty, this work of God to give us a new life for which we are made is just as much a part of God's grace. Second Corinthians puts it this way. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Therefore we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, they're a brand new creation. 
They're, they're a new living organism. A new life has emerged in them that is distinct from the old life that is the life for which I made them. Now, whenever we Christians have a really big concept that we want to kind of remember and it's complicated, we always give it a name. And so last week, we, we talked about the word justification. That's the big word for this truth that by God's grace, God intends to rescue us from the consequences of sin and death so that we can be placed in a right relationship with God. Justification. And we got a big word for today, too. It's the word sanctification. It's rooted in the word holy. It means the process of becoming holy. The process of becoming the very person God always intended you to be. And the grace of sanctification is this. That God doesn't just intend to rescue you, forgive you, redeem you, and adopt you. God wants to do all that, but that's not all God wants to do. God also wants to heal you and sustain you and teach you how to live. God wants to give you eternal life and give you a life worth living that long. And just imagine for a second how, often it, how awful it would be if that wasn't the case, right? Like if God was going to make you live forever... But you would still be just as fearful as you currently are, or just as greedy as you currently are, or just as much a worrier as you currently are, or just as insecure as you, like that was it. Like God was just, you're going to live forever, but you know how insecure you are today and you think everybody doesn't like you? You're going to feel that way eternally. Like eternal life without transformation is not a gift. It's a curse. God wants to give you eternal life and give you a life worth living that long. God wants to give you life, and, and, then, and then Jesus wants to lead you on a path, on a way of life to which you have been called and that you were always made for, to, kind of, to make you the person God always meant for you to be. Now, we're going to get a little practical today, later, and talk about kind of what sanctification feels like and how you embark on it. Uh, but first, I want to make sure we notice some things. I want us to notice that sanctification is part of the work of grace. Like, sometimes we talk about how grace is for justification. It's like to get you rescued and to get you kind of so you won't get in trouble with God. But then the, that sanctification is, is something we do. But, but they are both part of grace. In fact, sanctification is part of the very intention of grace. Like the very reason that God is gracious to you is so that God might make you into the person God wants you to be. Sanctification is also, it's part of how we respond to grace. Like it's the logical response to grace. You know, because God has saved me, it's only reasonable that I would want to obey God. You see, it's the logical response to grace. Uh, we see this all over the Bible. One interesting place you see this is in the book of Romans. We looked at Romans a bunch last week, and, and Romans is a great place to go look and understand God's grace and to understand justification. We looked at chapter 3 and 4 and a bunch of chapter 5. But if we kept reading, we would see that at Paul can't explain grace 
without also moving to talk about sanctification, the process by which we become the very holy people God always intended us to be. If you're looking at the end, we kind of read through about half of chapter 5 yesterday. At near the end of Romans chapter 5, Paul is kind of summing up the magnitude of the grace of God. And he says this, where sin increased, wherever there was more and more sin, there was more and more grace. Like, as there was more sin, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's like, so you've got lots and lots of sin? Don't worry, God has even more grace. And he's, he's like wondering, like somebody could think, well, maybe then I should just keep on sinning. Because then God will just be more grace. That like to mean there'll be more grace in the world. Here's what Paul says. What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin so that there can just be more and more grace? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul's introducing us to a concept here that's super important, the difference between what we were saved from and what we were saved for. Grace isn't just about what you were saved from. Yeah, you were saved from sin and death, he says, but you were also saved for something. Why did that happen? He says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. That's the purpose for which you were given grace, was so that you could actually live a new life. Skipping a couple verses to verse 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace." Paul says, if you want to respond rationally to grace, part of that response will be the rejection of sin, will be the decision to try to live under God's law instead of under our own law. Our commitment, he says, to the journey of sanctification demonstrates the fullness of our trust in Christ. And it's this trust in Christ that saves us. I want you to hear that again. Our commitment to the journey of sanctification, to being transformed into the likeness of Christ, demonstrates that we trust Christ. And it's our trust in Christ that saves us. Now, we're going to be super careful here about a couple of things. Our commitment to sanctification does not save us. Okay, accomplishing ever-increasing holiness tasks, checking obedience boxes, does not accomplish, guarantee, secure, or in any way add to the saving grace of God. But, and, our commitment to sanctification does demonstrate that we trust Christ. And it is our trust of Christ that is our proper response to God's grace. Imagine for a second, if you would, the, the, this, this thought. 
Imagine the person who says, oh, sure, I trust Jesus to save me. I just don't trust him to lead me anywhere. I trust Jesus to rescue me and redeem me. I just don't actually trust Jesus to know what is best, what is God's goodness for my life. Something in me wants to say, really? Do you really trust Christ if you won't also trust Christ to lead you? Somebody asked me, and by somebody I mean I actually get asked this question all the time. A question like this. People say, I'm finding myself struggling with a persistent sin. I just can't shake it. And they'll say, I've been struggling with it for a year or five years or 10 years or 20 or 50 years. Does the presence of that persistent sin, does that mean maybe I'm not saved? I'm glad for that question because it has a very clear answer. No. If the presence of persistent sin meant a person wasn't saved, well, then nobody wasn't saved. Paul wasn't saved. In the very next chapter, he's going to talk about his struggle with persistent sin. But... Let us be candid and indifference to your persistent sin. Uh, having decided who cares, what does it matter what God calls me to? I'm just going to live my way to please myself. Well, that should be a spiritual warning to you that perhaps you haven't entrusted your life to Christ. That perhaps, you have, that perhaps you haven't said, Jesus, I give you everything. We must distinguish in our spiritual lives very clearly between error and rebellion. There is the error of weakness where we know the right thing to do and we seek to do the right thing and we fall short. An error that is common to us all. There is the error of confusion, where we, we actually don't know the right thing. We think God wants us to do this, and in fact, God wants us to do this. Maybe it's because we've been poorly taught, or maybe we've been studying God's Word, and we misunderstand God's Word. The error of confusion, where we think we should do this, and instead, and we're wrong. God really wants us to do that. The error of confusion is also an error into which all of us have fallen, any, just look back at anything that you think 20 years ago, ooh, I was wrong about that once. That was the error of confusion. Or perhaps it's the error of confusion that you're experiencing now. These errors lead us into sin all the time, the error of weakness and the error of confusion. But they are distinct from rebellion, which says, I know what God wants me to do. I'm clear about what God wants me to do. I have the strength to do what God wants me to do. I just don't care. I just reject God's lordship over my life. The person who wants to trust, the person who seeks to trust and follow Jesus but keeps stumbling into error can be confident in the grace of God. But the person who has rejected the lordship of Jesus in their life needs to have a serious spiritual conversation. Are they really trusting Jesus? For it is our trust in Jesus that makes grace operative in our life. 
More happily, I can tell you a few more things about the connection between the grace of God and the work of sanctification, the work of us growing in holiness to God, growing to be the people God wants you to be. I can tell you that sanctification is part of the blessing of God's grace. One of the ways God wants to bless you is by leading you toward obedience to God. Luke uh, 11 records Jesus saying this, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Uh, I mean, Jesus and God, they're just bold about this. It's almost embarrassing how often Scripture reminds us that obedience to God leads to blessing. It's like God's practically bribing us to obey him. He's saying, listen, I made you. I know what is best for you. And if you will obey me, it will be to you as blessing. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil, and it will be healing for your flesh and a refreshment for your body. God's just bold with this. That part of the way God wants to show you grace is by showing you the blessing that comes from obedience to God. Last week, we were talking about um, the judgment of God. And I, I said last week that I would rather be judged by God than by any one of you. Because I don't know you know, you might judge me on a bad day. You might judge me on a day you're feeling cruel. But my God is always merciful. If I'm going to be judged by anyone, I want to be judged by God. But today I want to flip that around. Because there is a companion truth that I want you to understand. And that is this. I would rather have the mercy of God. I would rather experience the mercy of a righteous and holy God than I would the mercy of any one of you. When people show mercy, when the world shows mercy, it's basically worthless to a broken man like me because the world's mercy sounds like this. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, we all do stuff like that. I wouldn't worry about it. You're fine. It's not a big deal. That isn't the mercy I want. I don't want people to tell me I'm fine. I'm not fine. I'm broken and tempted and greedy and impatient and scared and insecure. Don't tell me I'm fine. Tell me there's a path to holiness. Tell me there's a way of healing. Tell me there's a way of hope. You see, it's only the mercy of a God who is holy who can say, I've seen your sin and it's killing you. And it kills me. But we can do something about it. The world's mercy is like, is like finally getting up the courage to go to a doctor when you're half dead and can barely breathe. And the doctor says, you seem fine. 
I see lots of people who have trouble breathing too. It's a common thing. Hardly anybody can breathe these days. I wouldn't worry about it. If I wasn't going to worry about it, I would have stayed home. I go to a doctor so they'll take it seriously. And what I want to hear is we can do something about this. It may be hard. It may be even risky. But there is a cure for this. You see, it's only the mercy of a holy God that offers hope because only a holy God knows the way out of the mess we're in. And that's the last thing you've got to know about the connection between sanctification and grace, which is that sanctification is part of the promise of grace. When you entrust your life to Christ, God makes you a promise that he says, I will not leave you or forsake you until you finally are the person that I made you to be. And what you will discover is that the person I made you to be is the person you always wanted to be. And you will finally be at rest, not just because you are with me, but because you are made whole. That's the good news I need from my God. I'm just telling you, the good news that God forgives my sin, that is great news, but it's not good enough news for me. I want better news than that. I want to know that God heals my sin and that God repairs what is broken. I want to know not just that God can dry my tears. I want to know that God can dry all the tears that I have caused of the people that I have hurt in the world. I need my God's grace to be bigger than just I forgive you. I need my God's grace to be so big that he promises to heal everything that is broken in me and by me. And that's exactly what God's grace promises. In the middle of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's actually talking about something else, but he takes a little detour to talk about Jesus, and he says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. When Jesus is done with me, I'm going to get presented before God in splendor without spot or wrinkle or blemish. One day I will be holy, and so will you. That is the promise of the grace of sanctification, that God isn't done with you until God has made you into the person God always wanted you to be. And then you'll look around and you're like, oh my goodness, this is the person I wanted to be too. I can't believe this is me. This is who I am. I I, I didn't think it was possible. That's the grace of God. Last week, we talked about how do you respond to the grace of justification. And we said, well, at some point, you're just going to have to say, I trust Jesus for my salvation. Uh, declare that publicly so people know it, be baptized into Christ, die to your sins, and rise to new life. And this week, I just want to kind of end, get a little practical with you, and I want to talk about how do you respond to the grace of sanctification. Like, if any of that stuff sounded good to you, you're like, I want some of that. Like, I don't want to get, just get rescued. I want to get healed, 
right? I don't want to just get my debts paid for. I want to walk in freedom. That sounds good to me. Uh, How do you do that? And so, uh, you know, like we said, all, we've seen this all series long, that each one of these sermons could be a whole series of itself, and that's true today too. But I just want to give you a few ideas that will help you get a picture of how you actually embrace sanctification, all right? I've got a little list for you. Sanctification looks like obedience. It feels like discipline and struggle. It requires humility and hopefulness. It's empowered by God's Spirit and it requires our participation. Leave that up on the screen a little bit. I just want to talk about what I mean by these things. Sanctification looks like obedience. Now, I'll be clear. The purpose of sanctification is not obedience. The purpose of sanctification is transformation to the point where what I want to do and what God wants for me to do are so aligned that they are now the same thing. And it doesn't even feel like I'm obeying God. I'm just doing what I want. It's just that I've been so transformed that what I want is what God wants for me. That's, where say, that's the goal of sanctification, is the, is the total transformation of self into alignment with God. But along the way, it doesn't look like that, okay? Because until I'm transformed, what I want is this, and what God calls me to do is this. And so, yeah, I get that from the outside looking in, sanctification looks like me just saying, okay, God, I'll do it your way. And, and sometimes Christians, because so much of sanctification looks like this, when we talk about the spiritual life, we actually talk about this a little too much. And people think this is what our whole faith is, is just obedience. Uh, and it isn't. Our whole faith is grace. But because we trust God's grace, there, is, there, is, there are seasons of our life that look like obedience. And maybe some of you are in a season right that. Like you, you wish you want your desires were the same as God desires. But right now your desires are not the same as God desires. And so you, just, you, you have to say, okay, I'm just going to obey. Okay? So looks like obedience. Second thing you got to know about sanctification is it feels like discipline and struggle. One of the gifts God gives us is that God punishes us for our sin. I'm not saying that sounds like a gift. I'm just saying it is a gift. Like you got a toddler who likes to run out into the road. You know, sometimes you'll see a young parent who says things like this, I'm never going to punish my kids. That's not what we do. We don't punish our kids. I don't give parents too hard a time when they say that. Because here's what I know. If they ever get a kid who wants to touch the stove or run in the street they will suddenly start punishing their kids. Why is that? Well, because what they know is that the consequences of punishment pale in comparison to the consequences of running into the road or touching a stove. And this is what God's discipline is like when we sin. God's discipline is to protect us from the consequences of sin because obedience leads to blessing and sin leads to chaos. And so God disciplines us. But the other thing you got to know is that sanctification feels like struggle. Maybe you're in a place like that where you're just sure right now God is calling you to get control of your lust or get control of your anger or get control of your greed or get control of your worry or get control of your insecurity or get control of your gossip and you just know the call of God in your life is so clear. That is what God is calling you to, to deal with this and every day it feels like a wrestling match. 
Yes, sanctification often feels like that. Because what you're doing is you're reaching, a new, you're reaching a new place of bondage. And those chains are so comfortable. And Jesus is calling you to freedom. And yeah, the tug of war there. You know, the, the Bible says that the sanctifying love of God is like a refiner's fire. That's the image for when you had uh, precious metals or precious metal ore and you would heat them up to extremely high temperatures so the metal would melt and the impurities would burn off. And what's left is, of course, the beautiful, pure, precious metal. But that process doesn't sound like very much fun if you're the lump of silver, does it? The Bible says that's what God's love for us is like. God's love for us is a refiner's fire that will burn in us till we are pure. So yes, it feels like discipline and struggle. The, the life of sanctification requires humility and hopefulness. Humility and hopefulness. Um, every time you talk about a topic like this, there are a couple people, and there's some people right here, right this second, you're thinking to yourself, I'm so glad the preachers talking about holiness because I know some people who need to hear this sermon. I know some people who, who need a little sanctification in their life. I'm so glad I got a little sanctification once and now I am feeling rather sanctified and I, I sure hope some other people are listening. And that just happens to us so naturally. But the work of sanctification is always for you. The Bible again and again calls out, do not be deceived lest you stumble and fall and think that somehow you have finished the journey of transformation, that you are now the person God always wanted you to be, that you have kind of gone as, as far as you need to go. Sanctification is for each one of us our work to say, God, I have not arrived. Do some more work in me. Fire up the coals, God. Let the refiner's fire burn in my life. But sanctification also requires hopefulness. We talked about despair last week. There's a despair that can keep a person from the grace of justification. That despair sounds like this. I'm such a sinner. I'm so unworthy. I'm so far gone. There's no way God could love me. That's what the despair sounds like when the despair that keeps us from the grace of justification. But there is a different kind of despair that keeps us from the grace of sanctification. That's the grace of that's the despair of someone who thinks they're stuck. It sounds like this. Some of you have heard people say this. Some of you have said it yourself. Well, I'm just a worrier. That's just who I am. Yeah, I have a trouble with my temper. That's just my way. People just need to learn to live with it. Well, I, you know, what can I say? I lust. So does everybody. I don't know. I guess I'll go to the grave that way. That's, that is a kind of spiritual despair. It's a kind of spiritual despair that we kind of look at each other and kind of chuckle when we have it, don't we? Well, that's kind of adorable. I'm kind of the same way too. 
But that is a rejection of the power of the grace of God. For God's grace is unto you for life and transformation. And so I just want to speak into that today. And if that's kind of where you are, that is Satan's way of blocking you from the grace of God. And maybe instead you need to rise up in hopefulness and say, you know, I have been an angry, gossipy worrier for the last 45 years. But I'm going to make that list one thing shorter in the next 10. By God's grace, in 10 years, I'll just be an angry worrier. <laughs> Maybe you can do two in 10 years, but don't get cocky. Probably not. Okay, but you see, don't, but the, 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 the grace of sanctification requires our determined hopefulness. Did you know hopefulness is not an emotion, it's a decision? It's a decision for you to say, I will not give up on the person God is calling me to be. Next, the grace of sanctification is empowered by God's Spirit. This work of transformation is work God wants to do in you. It's work God wants to do with you. It's work God wants to do. It's not your work. Now, I know it's going to feel like discipline and feel like struggle. It's going to look like obedience. But it's God's work. And your job is just to keep inviting it in and keep inviting it in and keep inviting it in and keep inviting it in. And that's because the last thing you got to know is that it requires your participation. This work requires your participation. The, these principles are all over Scripture. I couldn't figure out a way to read all the texts and talk through the principles all in the same sermon. Uh, but you could go look. You could go look at Matthew 5 through 7 or Colossians chapter 3 or pretty much the whole book of Proverbs. You could go look at Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You can go look at Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your salvation. I love this notion, work out your salvation. He's not saying work out your rescue. He's saying work out your healing. Remember we talked last week that this word salvation is bigger than just your rescue. It's about your healing and transformation. And he, verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Romans 12, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, with, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I had a guy once helping me understand where I felt like I was stuck in my own sanctification, and he just gave me this little simple insight. He said, just, just as you read God's word, just say, God, how do you need to renew my mind through your scripture and then you say, what do I need to do? That you see that line, discern what is the will of God? Just in light of this text, what do I need to do? And then he said, you just spend the whole rest of the day trying to decide if you'll do it. I love that little idea. Renew my mind. What should I do, God? And then you spend the whole day trying to decide if you'll do it. 
And I know some of you are out there thinking, well, how could you not do it if God said it? Well, you walk with Jesus for a while. You'll have your days too. You know what I'm saying? There's some days the voice of God is pretty clear and my voice is pretty loud too. But, but, the, but we stay in it because sanctification is for our grace. Okay? Look at verse 3. reminds us about humility. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Let's go back through those five again real quickly. Sanctification looks like obedience. It feels like discipline and struggle. It requires humility and hopefulness. It's empowered by God's spirit, but requires our participation. We need to be super clear about what the grace of God has saved us from. Like we need to know it deep in our souls and be able to tell other people about it. But we need to be just as clear about what the grace of God has saved us for. We need to know it deep in our souls and be able to tell other people about it. You've been saved from death. And that's good news because death sounds awful. I wouldn't want that to happen. But you've also been saved for life. And that's good news because that sounds pretty cool. I would like to experience that one day, like completely, like the way I was meant to live. You've been saved from your bondage to sin. And that sounds good because being bound to sin sounds terrible. And I know what that's like. And it wasn't pleasant at all. But you've been saved for freedom from sin. And that sounds pretty good too. And I'd like more of that because I've had a taste of it. And it was pretty amazing. You've been saved from corruption destruction, chaos. And that's pretty good news because I know what they're like. And they're awful. And you've been saved for healing and wholeness, restoration and relationship. And that's good news. Because that's what I want for my life. And the promise of grace is that if you will trust in Christ, he won't give up till that work is done. And one day you'll stand before God and you'll be holy and blameless and spotless and finished I'll be honest it's almost impossible for me to believe I'm such a wreck right now that God could finish what God has started but that's what he promises that the very one who died rose and the very one who forgives heals and that's what God wants for you. That's wonderful. 
We're going to sing a song right now about who God wants you to be. And maybe today's the day you, you want to say, I want to trust Jesus. Maybe you thought about it last week and you're like, yeah, I definitely want to trust him to forgive me and save me. But now you realize that you're also going to trust him to heal you and make you whole. And maybe you want to do that today. You could come forward while we sing and do that. Maybe today's the day you want to join the church. If you want to join the church today and say, I'm in with this group of, of pretty messed up people, but we're getting transformed by Jesus together. And so you'll wait till we're worth, you know, we're worth knowing. And we'll wait till you're worth knowing too. That'll be good. We'll wait for Jesus to finish his work on us together. If today's the day you want to do that, you could do that today. I'll meet you right down front. Whatever you got to do today, would you just trust God? Because he just wants so much for you to trust him and obey him and let him shape you into the person you're meant to be. Let's stand together and sing our praise to God.